Class is in session. You're listening to Squat University by Dr. Aaron Horshay. Let's go! Now, let's start the show. Hey, what's up, everyone? Thank you so much for checking out today's show. This is episode eight of the Squat University podcast. The goal with each and every one of these shows is to bring you as much value-packed content to help you move better in the gym and in life, decrease your body's aches and pains, and help you reach your true athletic potential. Before we get started, I just wanted again to take a second and thank you guys so much for checking out the podcast. I can't believe I'm already at episode 8. I've really enjoyed the process of making this audio content for you guys. It's obviously very different than the video and the blog way of delivering value to you guys that I'm so accustomed to over these past couple years of squat University. So I just hope that you guys are enjoying these shows, getting as much content and value out of it, um, because in the end, that's my hope for this podcast show. So for that being said, let's get today's show. The title of today's class will be patellar compression syndrome. Now, a few weeks ago in episode two of the podcast, I opened a discussion on how knee pain occurs and develops. If we're talking about barbell athletes or those who use barbells often as a part of their training, knee pain often occurs and comes out due to poor movement quality, poor technique. When you use less than stellar technique, when lifting weights, your body acclimates and accumulates tiny amounts of microtrauma. And over time, this adds up and pain ensues. So today what we're going to do is we're going to discuss one of these common overuse injuries that occurs at the knee joint called patellar compression syndrome. Now, sometimes people refer to this as a patellar tracking injury or just use the very general term of patellar femoral pain syndrome. Now, this is one of the most common forms of just generalized knee pain, like I said, in all athletes, but I see it especially in those who compete in weightlifting, powerlifting, CrossFit, who are doing movements, loaded movements, especially with the barbell that just places a lot of stress on the knee joint itself. Now, when we talk about this injury, we can break it down into two different categories. There's the first one, which is the most common, we'll talk about it, which is called excessive lateral pressure syndrome or ELPS. And then there's the second one, which is less common called global compression syndrome. So let's talk about the first one, which is the excessive lateral pressure syndrome. It's got a very big name. I'm gonna explain exactly what it is now. So your kneecap or your patella travels within this small notch in your femur called your patellar groove. As your knee bends and straightens, like when you're doing a squat or you know bending over to pick up a barbell or even a pencil off the ground, the tissues around your knee, like your muscles and your fascia, which is basically like a spider web of connective tissue that envelops and runs over everything. Those tissues surround the knee joint and the patella and keep it tracking in that groove. So If the tissues on the lateral or the outside part of your leg become stiff due to things that we'll talk about in a minute, they can pull excessively on the kneecap and tilt it on its side. Now, when that happens, it causes it to track laterally in the groove. So basically, is like it's being pulled to the side instead of running nicely straight up and down. So that's where we get the term patellar tracking disorder. So the kneecap is tracking wrong whenever you're moving your leg. So think of it like this. Your kneecap is like a train, and when the tissues on the side of your leg are stiff and things are moving in an off-balance way, it's being pulled 
off the train track. That's a very simple way to think about it. If left untreated and you just let this continue for a long time, this movement causes the kneecap that's being pulled off to the side. It's going to start rubbing unevenly against the femur, against that groove, and it leads to erosion underneath the kneecap. There's these really smooth um, tissues underneath the kneecap that basically like cartilage, and if it gets uh, rubbing unevenly over and over again, it leads to a wearing away, that smooth underlining of the kneecap, and it can lead to a bigger injury. Uh, some doctors will call this chondromalacia, so if you've ever heard that term before, that's where it comes from. Many will complain at this time of pain either underneath the kneecap or around the sides of the kneecap whenever you're doing simple things like squatting or even going up and down stairs. And sometimes it'll also be associated with things like popping or grinding of the knee itself, especially underneath the kneecap. And that scientifically is called crepitus. So um, there's a little bit of terminology for you guys. Now, if you can sit down for a second um, while you're listening to this podcast, straighten your leg out. Now, relax the muscles around your quad as much as possible. You should be able to move your kneecap around a little bit side to side. So put your fingers around your kneecap and just sort of push it to the inside and outside. Now, if your quads are completely relaxed, your leg is straight, most people should be able to move their kneecap, you know, a centimeter to to the inside and to the outside without any pain at all. Now, those who have this first type of compression syndrome have stiff tissues on the lateral side of the knee that are limiting the ability to move the kneecap towards the inside, which is called the medial direction. This constant stretch of the tissues on that inside part of the knee because the outside part of the leg is so stiff leads to some pain and it can also lead to some atrophy, basically the inside part of your leg, those quad tissues called your VMO or vastus medialis oblique, um, we can actually get some atrophy there. So the tissues will actually decrease in size due to the constant stretch and pain. So that is the first uh, part or the first type of compression syndrome. Remember, excessive lateral pressure syndrome. So let's go to the second one, just sort of explain what that is. It's called global compression syndrome. Now, this is not as common for those who are sustaining sort of an injury while weightlifting. Now, why is that? When someone has global compression syndrome, they have tissues on both sides of their kneecap, the inside and the outside, or medial and lateral, become excessively tight and stiff. This problem usually develops after a direct blow to the kneecap, such as falling um, on your knee or if you're running it into something. So there's a direct blow, there's an injury to that area. It can also develop to the knee when it's been immobilized for a long time. So if you've um, had an injury and your knee's placed in a cast or a brace for a long time and you're unable to bend your knee for many weeks, obviously, it takes a long time to occur. So for most athletes who complain of pain, surrounding the kneecap or right under the kneecap, the problem is usually due to the excessive lateral pressure rather than a global compression syndrome. So now that we know how this is caused and how most of us have the excessive lateral pressure syndrome when we're complaining of this type of knee pain, how do we fix it? So let's go step by step through this. So the first part is we need to be able to reduce any swelling or pain that may be going on due to this. So if it's been going on for some time uh, or it's pretty bad, sometimes you'll have some swelling. It's common to see a small amount of swelling in the knees of those who have this compression syndrome. Remember, because of the small amount of repetitive 
micro trauma. If you remember, the train is getting pulled off the train track, which again leads to an unnatural or uneven rubbing on the underside of the kneecap against the femur, which leads to the trauma, the wearing away of some of the smooth underlining of that cartilage, which again, inflammation comes in. Science has shown that swelling in the knee joint can actually cause the quad muscles to shut down and stop firing correctly if there's enough swelling in the knee joint. In 1984, there was a group of researchers that found that the VMO, remember that teardrop muscle on the inside part of your knee, can actually shut down with around 20 to 30 millimeter, milliliters of swelling, while it takes about 50 to 60 milliliters of swelling to shut down the rectus femoris in the vastus lateral, so those more the middle or the lateral side of your quad. So because swelling can shut down your muscles from firing correctly, our first step has to be reducing this swelling so that we can get those muscles to fire again, restore those natural imbalances. So the best way to do this classically has been ice, compression, relative rest, and starting corrective exercises, sort of the whole combination together. Now, there's some who have put out some content that says that we should never ice injuries. Now, I really think you need to take an individualized approach when it comes to whether or not you're going to be using ice, because I think the truth is not nearly as black and white as some have made it out to be. Now, should someone ice their knees who is just sore after workout? No, you're not in pain, you're just sore. Get off your butt, take a walk, do some mobility work, you'll feel better the next day. There's a difference between being in pain and being flat out sore. Those who are in pain don't get better with warm-up and activity. That's the big difference. So just because you're sore after a workout doesn't mean you should ice. We need to address why the soreness is there. Now, if you are in pain, there is some evidence out there, and it may be a little weak if you look at depending on the article that you're looking at, that shows that uh, ice can be very helpful at modifying the level of pain that you're in. So when we're talking about an athlete that has an actual injury, a painful injury, Using ice as a part of the treatment process, not just by itself, can be helpful at times in decreasing this pain. Now, I'm not advocating that it should be used at, by itself or as the only thing. You know, if anything, it should be used as something we do at the very end of treatment. But, you know, when we use ice, it can be helpful at times, especially if the knee is very flared up, at modifying, even if it's a short term, modifying some of that pain so that we can have a good treatment process as far as decreasing overall our symptoms and helping us get back to a pain-free state. So the next step then, obviously, we need to talk about modifying your activity, decreasing things that are causing a lot of pain in order to decrease pain. If deep squats are hurting right now, your knee, every single time you do a squat, you got six or seven out of 10 pain, you got to stop squatting. We got to be able to take away the stimulus that is creating the pain because that is what's leading to the inflammation, leading to the erosion under your kneecap and not allowing you to heal. So relative rest has to be the first thing that we do. I don't want you to just stop training, but I want you to stop doing the things that are creating the pain so that we don't drag this thing out. So relative rest Icing if you need to, using some compression, using a sneeze sleeve can help sort of push some of that swelling out, especially if you're sitting around, sort of passively help um, with the reduction of swelling. So those are sort of our first steps. We have to be able to decrease our pain and swelling. Now, the second step 
is decreasing soft tissue stiffness. Remember, we have with this type of compression syndrome, we have some lateral stiffness in those tissues on the outside part of the leg. So the main objective when treating a compression syndrome is to decrease that stiffness and tension on those lateral tissues, which are gonna be more of your vastus lateralis, the lateral retinaculum, which is small tissues on the outside part of the knee that surround the kneecap, and the IT band itself if we have that contribution. Now, one efficient way to do this is self-myofascial release using a lacrosse ball or a really heavy PVC pipe. What you can do is just lay on your stomach, place a lacrosse ball or a tennis ball on your part of the lateral quad just above into the outside of that kneecap. Make sure you stay off that IT band part where it connects to the side as compression there can actually flare up maybe an IT band pain. So we don't want to irritate those part of the tissues. There's also a fat pad that lies right underneath the IT band down there. So we want to stay off that. We don't want to foam roll or lacrosse ball over that. Search out stiff spots in your lateral tissues right there and maybe pause for a few seconds when you're doing that. And but you know, the big thing, I want to roll up and down the lateral part of my leg, search for stiff spots for about one to two minutes. For some athletes, self-treatment with a lacrosse ball or foam roll will not help enough to fix those restrictions. So you may have to go to a physical therapist and get some scraping done or even some mobilizations of the patella. But for most people, doing some foam rolling to the lateral tissues can be very helpful. Now, as a side note, some people will say, that foam rolling and using a lacrosse ball, the self-myofascial release, doesn't really do anything long-term. So any of the short-term improvements that we're getting um, you know, is more or less decreasing tone or stiffness of the muscles. That doesn't mean that it's not effective. It just means that we're not going to create any long-term changes necessarily. But short-term changes can be still very helpful as far as the treatment process goes. So just understand that while you may feel better directly after jumping off of a foam roller or a lacrosse ball, it shouldn't be the only thing you're doing in trying to modify your pain levels. It's just part of the process. The next step is where we're really gonna make the big changes. So after mobilizing stiff and shortened tissues uh, that are on the outside part of the kneecap that are causing it to pull off track, we then need to address weakness and strength imbalances that occur as a result of that constant tension, pain, or swelling that you may have. Now, many physical therapists today believe that we should focus on strengthening the VMO, right? That teardrop inner quad muscle based on some research that shows that some people who have this compression syndrome have an inhibited VMO. It's not firing correctly. Now, let's talk about this VMO because there's a lot of misinformation out there on this part of the quad, how it functions, and how we should train it, especially when it comes to, obviously, the rehab process in dealing with this injury or just flat out in training it because a lot of people think, oh, you can do this or that and train your VMO. Due to the way the fibers of the VMO, that teardrop part of the muscle, run at an angle towards the kneecap, it works in sync with the lateral quads called your vastus lateralis to stabilize the kneecap and keep it tracking in proper alignment. This means that the VMO and the vastus lateralis, they work together to keep the train moving correctly in the train track when you bend and straighten your knee. For this reason, if the VMO isn't firing correctly, it can cause tracking problems for the kneecap and eventual pain. So it's part of the problem. However, when you look at all the available research on the topic, there is a ton of disagreement as to whether the VMO 
always has a problem with it in those who have this compression syndrome. It's not always inhibited. It's just sometimes for some people, depending on the amount of pain and swelling that they have. Here's the big thing to understand. Even if the VMO is shut down in your body relative to the other quad muscles, research shows that it cannot be strengthened in isolation. I'll say that one more time. You cannot selectively strengthen or target your VMO. For years, many people believed, and this is medical field and the fitness world, that certain quad exercises like a straight leg raise, a short arc knee extension, meaning you're just sort of moving it a little bit from a straightened position, uh, squats with a certain toe out angle, uh, certain depths of a squat, certain type of other exercises. Basically, a lot of people believe that you could selectively strengthen or target the VMO. So contrary to what you may have read in the past, the VMO is not capable of independently firing. When you contract your quad, all the quad muscles contract. Research is very clear that strength-based exercises, however, are key for successful rehab of a compression syndrome. So strength is still very important. We need to strengthen the VMO and all the muscles. It comes down then to uh, selecting the right exercises so that we can do this and fix these imbalances. Now, when it comes to strength exercises, what we don't want to do is perform any exercise that increases compression and causes irritation to the knee joint. Duh. Now, let me explain why we don't want to do this. Now, when we look at the kneecap and how it's moving, we talked about the train tracking in the train track. Many people assume that the entire kneecap is constantly in contact with the femur during movement. However, that's not very true. As the knee flexes, so it bends, the amount of contact between the backside of the kneecap and the femur is actually changing. What this means is that when your knee bends or the more your knee bends, like the deeper you go into the squat, there's more contact between these two bones. So because there's more force placed on the knee as you go deeper, that force is being distributed over a greater surface area. So it's better handled by the body. Now, if you're doing an exercise, for example, like a seated knee extension, it's a common exercise you see almost in any gym. On a machine, you sit down, you kick your leg up. This is called an open chain exercise for those who want to know because your foot is not in contact with the ground. But seated knee extension, we all know, sit down, kick your leg straight. Your knee is going from what? It's going from a flexed or bent position to a straight or extended position. This means the amount of contact between the kneecap and the femur in the groove is actually getting smaller. Remember, the contact area gets larger. There's more contact between the train and the train track when the knee is flexed. There's smaller contact area as the knee straightens out. Well, when you're doing a seated knee extension, the contraction of the quads to extend the lower leg pushes the kneecap into the femur, causing more compression. Therefore, the contraction of the quads places a higher amount of compressive force on the joint that is distributed over a very small surface area under the kneecap. If the area under the kneecap is already eroded or inflamed due to this compression injury that we've already talked about, it will only make things worse. So for this reason, when we're talking about rehab exercises for this compression or tracking injury, we want to stick with exercises that can strengthen the quads, but also spread the force of the joint compression across a greater surface area underneath the kneecap so that we're not continuing to damage the knee. These will include closed chain exercises as they've been shown in research to allow for better positioning of the kneecap of 
the patella against the femoral groove and therefore less joint irritation when performing exercises to strengthen the VMR. Remember, our goal is to be able to restore um, strength and take away those imbalances that we currently have by working the quads and in doing so, we'll work the VMO. Now, we're not specifically targeting the VMO like we just said, but it will be a part of the process whenever we hit the quads in the right way. Rehab exercises, therefore, um, can include leg press with light weight, body weight squats, single leg squats, stuff we'll just talk about. So let's first talk about when you're returning from this injury, we're talking about squatting. If you have very little pain due to this injury, it's just more of an annoyance right now, by all means, continue lifting and just add in some of these exercises we're going to talk about in a second, but you got to play it smart. If it starts to hurt more with lifting, like we talked about, if it's reaching that like six or seven out of 10 pain, please do not continue to push through that pain or things will not get better. And the big thing is that you're going to stretch out how long it takes to get over this injury. You know, I've felt this plenty of times, you know, in my own training in the past so many years is, you know, you feel something that's injured and you're like, oh, it'll just go away. I'll roll it out. I'll continue lifting. Well, something that could have taken a couple weeks to get over now is being stretched on for months and months. And the big thing is it eventually starts to chip away at your performance. So you need to be very smart when you're dealing with any injuries so that it doesn't turn in, turn into basically a long-term thing that's going to eat away at your performance because then you're really going to be kicking your butt that you you didn't take a little bit of time off from just that exercise or decrease the intensity and train other things that were more pain-free and available to do at the time. During the initial recovery period, for someone who has taken themselves out of heavy training because the pain is so bad, we want to avoid deep squatting as there's more compression placed on the joint in the deeper squat that can be irritating to the knee. Even though it's spreading that force across a wider surface area of the kneecap under, you know, against the femur, sometimes that can still itself be very irritating if this is a bad injury. So while your body dissipates compressive forces over that wider surface, like I just said, compared to doing like a seated knee extension, a deep squat still places a considerable amount of force on the joint. Research has shown that compression of the patella increases as the knee bends, and it usually maxes out about that 90 to 100 degrees in knee flexion, which isn't a full deep squat, but it's pretty close. So for this reason, when we're talking about the rehab early on, we want to start off with doing some squats. Remember, the closed chain aspect of squatting can be very helpful, but we want to limit it to about 30 degrees in deflection and then progressing to 60 and then deeper as we go. So when someone comes to me for rehab of an injury like this, I'm going to use squatting as a part of the rehab process. I'm just going to tailor the depth of the squat to something that they can do pain-free. So again, that we can strengthen the quads, fix the imbalances, but not continue the pain cycle. Now, when it comes to the stance of the squat while performing it, research has also shown that taking more of a narrow stance squat can be better than a very wide stance squat in minimizing some compressive forces. So if you naturally take a very wide stance whenever you're doing a barbell squat, at this time, this is something that you could consider during the rehab process, at least you know, changing up your stance with in order to minimize those forces so that we can, again, improve the strength and balances, get you back to pain-free, and then you can change things back up whenever you're doing, you know, getting back to barbell training. Now, as far as 
toe out angle research hasn't shown that there's any difference in toe out angle as far as the compression on the kneecap so you can sort of play around and maintain the same uh toe out angle that you have been naturally doing whenever you're squatting as far as other corrective exercises that i use with patients with this injury the single leg touchdown squat by far is one of the best exercises at helping restore those you know problems that we're talking about So let's talk briefly about how to perform a good single leg squat. What I want you to do, go to your gym, find a small box if there is one there, or you can just take over a 45 pound plate or a 10, 20 kilo plate, throw it on the ground. It's about two to four inches in height. That's all you need to start day one. Believe me, I have had some people who can squat six, 700 pounds and they have jumped on a two to four inch height box or plate and have a difficult time doing a single leg squat. That's how important this is to the injury and rehab process process. It's all about learning how to move from the hips on one leg. That's where the the rehab process is so important at fixing this. Before you begin the squat, you're going to stand on the box, drive your hips backwards, bring your chest forward. This huge hip hinge is where it's at. This movement engages the powerhouse of your body, the posterior chain, and keeps your body balanced. When you do this, your body should feel completely balanced over the middle of your foot. Some people will drive their hips back and then they're thinking, well, my coach tells me chest up all the time, all their weights on their heel. When the butt goes back, the chest has to come forward. You can over-exaggerate this with a small single leg squat. It's not a weighted exercise. So think about your center of gravity is right in the middle of your stomach for most people. When the hips go back, chest comes forward. Once the hip hinge is complete, then we just squat down until the heel of our free leg taps the ground and comes back up. Make sure your knee during this time stays in direct alignment with the toes. It should not rotate inwards or outwards. A lot of people who have this compression issue have a problem not only with engaging the glutes and setting back their hips in a good hip hinge, but they have an issue in dynamic knee control. Often they can't see that they have a problem or it's not very noticeable in a double leg squat. It's not until you ask them to do a single leg squat that the problem becomes more visible. That's why if you remember back to the very first podcast, what did I talk about? Whenever I view the squat, whenever I'm seeing a patient for the first time, regardless of how good of an athlete they are, regardless of how much weight they can lift, I ask them, Let me see a good double leg squat to full depth. Take your shoes off. And I also want to see a good single leg squat. Now, I don't think a 320 pound super heavyweight powerlifter should be able to perform a pistol squat. That's not what I'm saying. But every single person, no matter how big you are or how strong you are, should still be able to perform a good single leg squat off of at least a box that's 8 to 10 inches in height. That's a fundamental movement your body should be capable of. And often, people who develop these type of injuries have an issue underlying that they don't know about because they have lost that coordination problem. So for you, if you have been dealing with this patellar tracking injury, this compression injury, single leg squatting and fixing that dynamic knee control off of just a small box or small plate like we talked about can be a game changer. This is something you should be able to do. So we talked about Hips go back, chest comes forward, you should feel your butt muscles engage, squat down, tap the ground lightly, a big cue I use, tap an eggshell, don't break the eggshell. So all your force and the ability to stabilize should be in the stance leg, not transferred at all into your free leg. Tap the ground and come back up. Now during this small squat, especially if we're doing it off a box any lower than like a six inch height, your shin should remain 
fairly vertical. Now, obviously, to be able to perform a full pistol squat, the knee has to eventually move forward or you're just going to fall on your butt. During a small touchdown squat, however, because we're not going down very far, I really want to get those glutes engaged in the posterior chain. So I want to make this a very hip dominant squat. Plus, if you do allow that knee to jam forward off the very start of the squat, you will likely feel a lot of that compression in the kneecap because of the distribution of torque is changing and placing a lot more on the knee. So if you want to try this, I always say for patients the first time they come in, I want you to do it poorly the first time so you feel what bad feels like, then do it correctly so you feel what good feels like. So when you stand on that single leg box to do your first squat, just jam your knee forward first as you go down into a squat. What do you feel? A lot of people go, oh, wow, that hurts my knee. There's your sign. Now do a very big hip hinge, over-exaggerate it, then do your single leg squat, what'd you feel? A lot of people go, oh wow, my knee pain's gone and I felt my hips working. Your quads are still working very hard. Don't you know? assume that just because you're using a very hip dominant squat that your quads aren't working. They're still working very hard. You just changed the distribution of the torque needed to perform the exercise. You took a little bit off the knee and you put it on the hip. The hip is very strong. It's pain-free right now. I want to be able to use that hip. So that's how you should be able to do the touchdown squat. Now, Eventually, you should be able to knock out two to three sets of 20 reps without any issues. No knee pain, no knee waiver. It's easy to perform. It's very a fluid motion. Eventually, make that box higher. Stack another weight on. You should be able to get up to, and I said most people, about 10-inch height box or a couple plates, you know, a 10, 20, uh, 25-kilo plate stacked on top of each other. Now, eventually, that knee's going to have to move forward in the descent of that squat, but if you can limit it till the very end range, you're still, like I said, going to be able to keep the majority of that torque placed on the hip and keep your knee pain-free. Now, there's a number of other exercises that you can include in the treatment plan um, of someone that has this compression syndrome, but again, the double and single leg squat with good technique will be the foundation because they work on clearing up the imbalances for why the problem likely started in the first place. Other things I would work on would be possibly coordination stability work um, by looking at the hips. And if we found that there's a possible issue in how the person is coordinating the hips, maybe their glute medius isn't firing at the right time. So they have a good amount of knee cave. You know, I'd throw in things like lateral band walks or kicks out of the side with a band around their feet. These are all things that I've routinely shared on Squat University uh, on Instagram or across all the other social media platforms. So you can go back and find those uh, exercises. But That's the main exercises that I think just starting will be a huge, huge game changer for you. So let's get to the final thoughts. The rehab from compression syndrome is quite simple, really, if you think about it. We need to improve the mobility of the excessively stiff tissues on the lateral side of our knee. And then we need to fix the imbalances that are often present, you know, in response to pain, swelling, and the excessive trauma. Now, During the recovery phase, make sure you avoid, like I said, very deep squatting and explosive work, you know, running and box jumps that create a ton of pain because the force generated during those movements will likely increase compression at the knee joint and limit your overall healing. Now, if the exercises that I discussed today with you and I've shared before are unable to decrease your pain in your knee, 
Again, I highly suggest, as with all other injuries, that you go see a sports physical therapist, especially someone who understands the demands of barbell training for a comprehensive evaluation. It's important to find a sports physical therapist who understands barbell training and what your goals are and are not just going to treat you with passive modalities. Fixing this type of issue, like I've said plenty of times before, it's not about using passive modalities, which means it's not about hooking your body up to electrical stimulation. It's not about taping your knee using expensive tape you may see commercialized all over the internet or on TV. It's not about doing just scraping techniques alone. Some people will be like, well, I got Graston technique done on my leg today. Awesome. What else did you do? Just using passive modalities alone is never how you fix an injury. You have to address why the problem is there in the first place if you want to get anything more than a short-term change. You have to affect the movement issue that is almost always the underlying problem in injuries like this. So that is it for the podcast today. Again, I want to thank all of you for checking out the show. It means so much to me to have your attention, whether you're driving to work, school or the gym, walking your dog, rolling on a foam roller right now, getting ready to work out. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Please keep hitting me up on the DM and on Twitter with your reaction to the show, whether or not you liked it, or if you'd like to hear anything specifically in the future on the podcast. Until next week, guys, happy squatting. That's it for today, class, on Squat University by Dr. Aaron Horshig. For more exclusive content, log on to squatuniversity.com.